Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the third chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 10, and that can be found on page 886 of your Pew Bible. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, at three o'clock in the afternoon, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple, called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning, church. Let's get a couple of things straight, shall we? First of all, I was officiating an out-of-town wedding for some of our members yesterday, and that's why I wasn't at Gopher Bow. Secondly, I'm fairly confident that had I been here, it really wouldn't have mattered. She'd have totally kicked my tail. So, uh, hey, welcome back to our series on Peter. We're finishing up the Rock Flawed but Faithful series today, and I hope that you have been blessed by this series. I have been blessed by this series. When I look at Peter's life, man, there's there's so much reflected in Peter's life, particularly on that flawed side. I see in myself, but it also gives me hope. It gives me hope that I too can be faithful to Christ. And and my hope is that all of us have had a similar experience as we've journeyed with Peter. And today we're we're concluding uh, this story. Last week we left off with Peter. He was a humbled man sitting beside the Sea of Galilee, having just been reinstated by our Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens next, the rest of the story, is what we're going to cover today. You see, that humbled man became the voice, when empowered by the Holy Spirit, he became the voice that our God would use to give birth to this spiritual house called the church. And so what I want to do in in these these first few moments of our time together is walk quickly through Peter's story and once more to see ourselves through the lens of Christ and try to understand as we look at Peter's story what would happen in our lives if we were more fully empowered by the unleashing of the Holy Spirit. So to do this, I want to invite you, if you would, to grab a a Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be a Bible in the pew back in front of you. And and then to open it to Acts chapter 2. Now, uh, that's on page 886 of the Pew Bible, and, and to keep it open there, because we're going to look at three different passages, but all of those passages are on this part of the Pew Bible. So that starts on page 886. We're going to start looking at, at what we find by P- in Peter's life uh, that's unleashed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to start looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 40. This is the day of Pentecost, the day the church is born. Peter testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who, were, who welcomed his message were baptized. 
And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. 3,000 people were added to the church on that very first day. Here's the first lesson we learn about ourselves as we look at the story of Peter. When the Holy Spirit is unleashed in our lives, our lives become fruitful. Our lives become more filled with fruit for the kingdom of God. When the Holy Spirit is unleashed in our lives, our lives become fruitful. 3,000 people were added to their number that day, but Peter's story wasn't over yet. The next day, as we heard Linda read this morning, Peter and John went to the temple for the time of prayer. And if you look with me at Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, they, they came across a man who had been paralyzed from birth. And here's what Peter had to say to that man. I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Can you imagine that story? Can you imagine watching that unfold? That this man who who had been paralyzed from birth... I love the way Peter does this, by the way. You were looking for a coin. I don't have a coin. I don't have that simple thing you were looking for. But what I have, what I have is so much better. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand and walk. And I love verse 8. I love that image. That not only did the man stand up, but then where did he go? He went into the house of the living God. Walking and leaping and praising God. And it was such a remarkable event. It was such a remarkable event that people started to gather around this man because they recognized him. He's the one that had been by the the gate called beautiful his entire life. It was powerful. That's the second lesson, by the way. When the Holy Spirit is unleashed in our lives, our lives become increasingly powerful. Peter used Christ's tremendous power to do something remarkable that day. And as the man is going through the temple, walking and leaping and praising God, and other people start to take notice and they see who he is, who he was, and who he has become, the crowd starts to gather around him. And eventually the crowd gets so big that the temple guards notice the crowd. The priests notice the crowd, and they try to get to the middle of what's going on, what's happening over here, and they discover that Peter and John are at the center of this unruly mob. And so they arrest Peter and John. They take Peter and John into custody and they cause them to spend the night in jail. And then the next day, Peter and John are forced to stand before the Sanhedrin. And if that name sounds familiar to you, the Sanhedrin is the group of Jewish leaders who sentenced or colluded for Christ to be sentenced to death. And I want you to hear how Peter speaks to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? And in verse 8, Peter says, it says, Then Peter, filled with what? The Holy Spirit, said to them, 
rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked, how has this man been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and who God raised from the dead. Are you familiar with a mic drop? Because if Peter had a microphone back then, that's when he would have dropped it. Peter is standing in front of the Sanhedrin 55 days beforehand. These people included to have Christ crucified. By the way, while the Sanhedrin was interrogating Jesus in the home of the high priest, where was Peter? Anybody remember? He was in a courtyard outside. And in that courtyard outside, three different people came up and asked Peter, hey, do you know Jesus? One of them was just a child. And when interrogated by two people and a child, Peter still couldn't hold his own. He said, no, I've never met this guy. That was 55 days before this event. What happened? 55 days later, Peter stands up in the midst of the Sanhedrin, the same people who had colluded to have Christ crucified. And he says, you're the ones that crucified him, but the living God raised him from the dead. What's the lesson? When the Holy Spirit is unleashed in our lives, our lives become bold for the cause of Jesus Christ. When's the last time you were bold for the cause of Christ? You know, I read something this week. It was a study. It said that um, it was a study, a, a questionnaire of people who didn't have any worship affiliation. They didn't have any church relationships at all. And one of the questions in the study said, if someone you trusted were to invite you to go to worship with them, would you go? 60% of those people said yes. When was the last time you were bold for the cause of Christ? When's the last time you invited somebody to your, your small group? Maybe you, maybe you have a Bible study at work. When's the last time you invited someone? When was the last time you invited somebody to a missional activity? Maybe you invited somebody to go for bow yesterday. If you did, good on you. When's the last time you invited somebody to worship? When was the last time we were just a little bit bold for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ? When the Holy Spirit is unleashed in our lives, we become bold for Christ. But that's not all. If we were to continue to read throughout the book of Acts, there's something else that's pretty remarkable that happens in Peter's life once the Holy Spirit is unleashed on him. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has this vision. It's a vision with a sheet. And against the backdrop of the sheet, there are all these foods that people who are Jewish couldn't eat. And the Holy Spirit tells Peter, it's okay for you to eat these things now. Now, these rules have been in place since the time of Leviticus. And Peter, trusting the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, comes out and says, the rules have changed. We are no longer bound by these dietary restrictions, which is good news for us because it means that today we could have sausage. Hallelujah, right? (laughs) That's not all. In Acts chapter 15, there's the first council, the council of Jerusalem. There was a big question on the table in the early church. And the question was, when Gentiles become Christians, do they have to be circumcised first? In other words, do you have to become Jewish before you could become a Christian? This was a big debate in the early church. You know who swayed the debate? Peter. In Acts chapter 15, it was Peter who stood up. Peter said, we're not saved by circumcision. We're not saved by our traditions. We are saved by Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. When the Holy Spirit is unleashed in our lives, one of the things we see in Peter, when the Holy Spirit is unleashed in our lives, we become adaptable. Now, it probably won't surprise you to hear me say that the church of Jesus Christ 
is not always known for embracing change. The church is often described as being on the cutting edge of whatever happened 20 years ago, right? But when the Holy Spirit is unleashed in our lives, we become willing to adapt for the cause of the gospel of Christ. One of the most challenging things at times for people in the church to remember is that our job as the church is not to maintain traditions. Amen? Our job as the church is to make disciples for Jesus Christ for the transformation of this world. When we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is unleashed in our lives, we become adaptable. Just one more. When I was in high school, I had a friend. His name was Jeremy Turner. He's a great guy. We were best buddies. Jeremy went to a Pentecostal church. I went to a Presbyterian church. The only thing those churches had in common is that they both started with the letter P. That's it. I would go to Jeremy's church and I'd be really fired up. He'd come to my church and be kind of underwhelmed. Uh, but we, we still did it. We still went to each other's churches. Now, one of the things, and I still love Jeremy to this day, one of the things that, that the people in Jeremy's church uh, taught from a Pentecostal perspective was that if the Holy Spirit was at work in your life, that you would have the ability to speak in tongues, which is the capacity to speak in a language that is not a language that you've actually learned. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to speak in tongues. And while I love Jeremy and appreciate his people, I would disagree with him, and I think, I think maybe the Apostle Paul would too. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about all these myriad gifts of the Holy Spirit that we could have. We can get the gift of knowledge, we can get the gift of wisdom, we can get the gift of, of faith, we can get the gift of tongues, we can get the gift of teaching. There are all these various gifts, but, but Paul ends this, this statement about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He ends it with this word, these words. He says, but now I will show you the greatest gift. Now I will show you the most excellent way. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm just making noise. He said, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have the faith to say to a mountain, get up and move into the sea, but I don't have love, I am nothing. He said, if I give everything I have to the poor and surrender my very body to the flames, but I am not possessed by love, I gain nothing. Paul ends this discourse on love by saying the greatest of these is love. My friends, when the Spirit is unleashed in our lives, our lives become filled with sacrificial love. We see this in Peter's life. You know how Peter died? In the middle of the first century, there was a a great persecution of Christians that took place. Peter was arrested. He was taken to Rome. He was given the opportunity to recant his faith and live the rest of his life. Peter denied that opportunity. He stood up for Christ. And so Peter was sentenced to die. He was sentenced to die by crucifixion. You know what Peter said? No. I'm not going to let you kill me the same way you killed my Lord Jesus Christ. I am not worthy to die the same way he did. So Peter said, if you're going to crucify me, I must insist that you crucify me upside down. Sacrificial love. So greatly did he love Christ that when it came time for him to make his sacrifice, he made an even greater sacrifice for the cause of Christ. When the Holy Spirit is unleashed in our lives, Peter teaches us something about what happens. Our lives become fruitful. They become powerful, they become bold, they become adaptable, and they become full of sacrificial love. Now, as you look at this list, I want to invite you to ask a really hard question. And the question is this, is that what my life looks like? Is is my life fruitful for the cause of Christ? 
Am I seeing the Holy Spirit's power? Have I been bold for Christ? Have I been hanging on traditions or have I been willing to be adaptable for the sake of my Lord? And is my life full of sacrificial love? Maybe some of you look at this list and you say to yourselves, you know, certainly there is some room for improvement, but yeah, I'm seeing the Holy Spirit work in my life in that way. Hallelujah. But maybe there are some other people in this room who look at this list and say, man, my life couldn't be further from that. And here's the big challenge. I don't get to be fruitful, powerful, bold, adaptable, and full of sacrificial love just because I study my Bible a little bit more. These are not things, these are not trades that I learn. These are things that come through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't alleviate any any responsibility on our behalf. If I'm looking at this list and I'm saying to myself, man, my life just doesn't look like this, I want to invite you to begin to inhabit a new practice. If you look on the back of your bulletin today, I wrote a prayer I wanted to make sure you had it because I I want to invite you to take it home with you and put it on your nightstand. And here's the new practice I want to invite you to, to consider. That every morning, beginning tomorrow morning for the rest of your life, that the first thing you do when you get out of bed is that you kneel down beside your bed and you pray this prayer. Lord, unleash your Holy Spirit in and through me today. Make me fruitful, powerful, bold, adaptable and filled with love in Jesus name. Amen. I believe my friends that if we as followers of Jesus Christ, if we make ourselves available, the Holy spirit will indeed find itself unleashed inside of us and through us and that our lives like Peter's will begin to be bold and fruitful, powerful, adaptable and filled with love. So far today, we've been talking about the way the Holy Spirit works in us individually using Peter as a lens. I want to spend the rest of our few moments together talking about the way the Holy Spirit can be, has been, and shall be at work through this people called Ebenezer. Last week, last year after Go for Bo, I had a video interview with my friend Muhammad Nabu and his lovely wife Kim. They interviewed from Sierra Leone via Skype. I was grateful for them. And during the midst of that interview, I invited them to come to go for Bo here in 2019. And they were kind enough to do that. And so I'm really, really proud today uh, to welcome my friend Muhammad Emmanuel Nabu, also known as Nabs, to come join me on the stage. Would you help me welcome him today? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Navs, thank you for being here today, my friend. God bless you. It's so good to see you. Your lovely wife, Kim, thank you guys for, for taking the time, not only to be part of Go for Bo yesterday, but to be uh, here with us in worship today. Um, I, uh, I'm just wondering if you, not everybody in here knows your story, and I'm wondering if you might share a little bit of your story sure. with us today. Sure, I'd love to. Thank you for having me here, Bobby Beniza, and uh, over the years I have been grateful to be part of this church, you know, from a distance and through your prayers and generosity. I'm so grateful to be here. Well, I was born in a small village in Sierra Leone, which is one of the poorest countries in the world, as you may know. Um, I was born to a mom and dad that we are not very coming from a humble beginning. My dream was always to go to school, but my parents were so that poor enough that they could not afford to send me to school. So my dad always promised me that I wanted to go to school. So at the age of six, I was exposed to, you know, hard labor, going to the farm every morning, carrying farm tools and dishes, walking six miles both ways, 
um, to help the farm, to do farm work. So I used to see kids going to school. My dream was always to go to school, but that opportunity never came. So you're, you're born in the village of Sami and, uh, you grew up starting at the age of six. You're, you're, you're doing farm work, having to walk three miles yep. each way to get there. Uh, and then that's kind of your life for a couple of years. But then when you're eight, everything changes. Yeah. Well, at the age of eight, Sierra Leone had uh, 11 years of uh, civil war that really kind of destroyed the country. And uh, at the age of eight, that war finally reached my village. And it captured so many people and destroyed so many things. I was captured together with my mom and dad. And uh, I was asked to become a child soldier. But I refused, and my dad was asked to join them to become a rebel, but he refused. Other people were, other people joined the rebels because they forced them to be. Um, refusing to do that, they, they gave me a gun. They wanted me to kill my own dad, and I didn't do that. So the rebels took the gun and shot my dad right in front of my face at the age of eight. And my whole world was shattered. By then I was devastated, and so I got separated from my mom and ended up in the company of strangers from the same village and slept in the bush for two nights with them while we are trying to find our way to the city to live in to look for greener pasture so to, to escape the war. But uh arriving on arriving in Bo in the city, there was also houses there were houses burning and street kids were all over the place so I had to stay on the street for a for a period of one year, living on the streets with other street kids. So after you saw your dad killed in front of you, you, you escaped to the bush for two yeah, months. two months. And you finally made it to the second largest city in Sierra Leone, which is Bo. Bo, yeah. And you were on the streets of Bo for about a year. A year, yeah. And and then one one rainy Thursday night, everything changed again. Yeah, i never forget that night. Um, it was very cold and rainy, one Thursday night. And we saw a group of people come in with flashlights. Um, we are about to run away and... They started talking about Jesus. They said, no, don't run away. We are here to help you. And um, so the other kids, my very self, we stood there and they told us, that, okay, they are here to collect children from the street after, the, you know, to take them to a safe place. And that, that, that was how I got rescued from the street together with other children and taken to an orphanage and grew up there for, ten, I stayed there for 10 years of my life. So you were taken to the child rescue center uh, there for 10 years. Educated, clothed, yep. housed, fed, mm-hmm. all those things. And, and of course, you know, Ebenezer for years has been involved in uh, that. Very, very um, supportive of the Child Rescue Center. But uh, there came a time eventually for you to leave the Child Rescue Center. Yeah. And go where? Yeah, that was when I was, uh, I reached the time to go to uh, college, to go to university. And uh, I went to university by then. And I really want, I've always wanted to be educated. And come up to be very serious in life because I've always wanted to be able to do something with my education and impact uh, people around me. So when I went to college, my focus was really more on, you know, studying the Bible because I was exposed to Christianity when I was in the orphanage. Um, I, w- I was reading the Bible and then doing more of studies, spending more time in the library with my books. So I, by the grace of God, I, I mean, I ended up graduating with a, a first class honors distinction. Um, one of the best results in the country by then. So I was very grateful for that. So uh, <laughs> j- just to make sure you all get this, this young man uh, graduated top of his class, first honors at all university. Uh, yeah, right? Thank you. 
one of the most academically gifted uh, students in the country to graduate that year. Uh, in fact, his friends gave him uh, a nickname. They called you the cockroach, right? Because <laughs> in Sierra Leone, cockroaches eat books. Yeah. yeah. And, and so he had a tremendous appetite for books. So, uh, so you graduate top of your class, you graduate with honors, and you're given an opportunity to make a choice. You yep. actually offered two different jobs. Uh, one of them a government job, mm-hmm. high-paying job. Mm-hmm. The other one with the Child Rescue Center. Can you talk us through your decision? Yeah, um, it was a big time for me to make a decision after I graduated because there many organizations were looking for me to work for them. So I got this offer to go work for the government organization where I was going to be paid more money. And then at the same time, I was trying to make a decision to accept the offer or not. That same week, I got an offer to go back to the orphanage and work for the children, the same orphanage that has brought me up. So I had to pray about it. And, you know, they they offered everything. The the organization, the government organization was paying like eight times more, the orphanage. So like um, standard of living wise. So I had to agree to go work for the orphanage. Um, as a sponsor, uh, a child coordinator, I was there to coordinate sponsorship between the children and the partners on the side. So the, the organization was paying me 50 bucks a month. <laughs> but yeah, that was like voluntary and then helping and stipend. But I, I felt really loved. I felt really rewarded. I was doing something very right because I thought uh, I had been blessed. I wanted to always be, how can I be a blessing in return? Right, How hang, can hang I on, save this wait. children? I just, I just got it. So you had the opportunity to go on this, this good, good paying job, but instead you took a 12.5, you, you were paid 12.5% of what that other job would have been. Yeah. In order to go work for the child rescue center. That's, that's correct. God bless you, my yeah, friend. Yeah, thank you. And All then right. we grew the program. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Then we grew the program, you know, spent two years and we, the program, we grew the program together and then by the sponsorship program by 85% growth in the entire program and we increased sponsorship from 200 sponsors to 400 sponsors over the course of time and the CLC leadership and the partners on this side saw something in me and I was promoted to the program's director to be the director of the entire organization the child rescue center so I was, I was grateful outstanding and so you grew that you grew the child sponsorship program by 85 percent they hired you they saw this leadership capacity in you they hired you as the director of the child resource rescue center yeah. um but then uh, you, you started to usher the CRC through, through some changes mm-hmm. from orphanage-based care to family-based care. Yeah. And, and that kind of got you on the road to a, a, new, a new position at mm-hmm. HCW. And so yeah. now you and Kim live here in the Northern Virginia area, mm-hmm. and you're mm-hmm. on staff here stateside with HCW. Can you tell us about what you're doing now? Yeah, my role is currently the child welfare programs liaison. What I do basically is I, uh, I link the civilian culture to the U.S. culture and be able to continue to grow the sponsorship and work with partner churches like the Benisa United Methodist Church. And then I'm working with uh, the partners like uh, strategic organizations like UNICEF, like uh, U.S. Aid Department and all those kind of places uh, who are without offering these organizations in order to craft out to map our best way to care for children, the child care reform. What I do will create best practices to do missions. Doing mission in a way that becomes sustainable, what is that empowers the families to become responsible to take care of their own very selves. Like in your summer, you talk about how uh, the man has been at the gate, the beautiful gate for years. You know, he wanted something, he was receiving cash. But doing that, that man stood up for a very long time. 
But Paul and, Paul and John, they, they, Peter and John came over. What did they do? They gave him something that was going to change his life forever so that he could be able to go out and get his own cash and bless other people. So that's what we said, that children do not have to choose between orphanage and basic necessity. Some of these children, they can still stay with their families and, and become better people in society. So now we are doing to grow the programs, have children stay in the family, instead of moving them out from, orphan, children, uh, from family to orphanage, now have them stay with their family and empower the entire family, entire, entire community, entire village, so that they can become so equipped to take care of them very selves and feed their dignity and love mm-hmm. that they could not otherwise feel if they leave, lose their children to orphanages. So this work that you are doing is really around creating sustainability. I mean, sustainability yeah, plans. You're going to give folks clean water, we're going to give them sewage, but it's really about creating a sustainable environment where families can take care of their own children yeah. uh, in, in this, this environment. Yeah. That's, children thrive well when they grow up in family. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Uh, you know, a couple of things really touched me about your story. First of all, I have a son who's eight years old, and I'd like to believe that if something happened to my wife and I, that the Church of Jesus Christ would step up for that little boy the same way they did for this little boy um, who became an amazing man that sits with us now. Um, one other thing that I think is really important, and you and I know it, but they don't, is that when Tina DeBosier and I leave to go to Africa next weekend uh, to Sierra Leone, we're going to go and visit Fengahoon Village, which will be the first village mm-hmm. of this new partnership uh, that Helping Children Worldwide has done, and we'll meet their, their immediate needs, but then our goal is to help grant them sustainability. That's the first village, and Tina and I will meet with the elders of that village. But while we're there, we're also going to meet with the elders of our second village. And that village is the village of Sammy. Sammy, yeah. Where you were born. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be the second village that Ebenezer Church adopts and brings to this transformation process. It is a village that means so much to me. And there are still a lot of children there in that village that do not go to school. They do not have shoes or flip-flops at the age of nine that was the first time i was exposed to wearing shoes that was when i was brought into the orphanage um there are so many children in that village who are still like that today the families in the village doesn't have clean water and they don't have uh toilet facilities so it's so much mean, meaningful that ebenezer church can step up and be bold enough to go to fengen and sami village to extend their blessings that's huge Well, I just want to take a moment and thank you once again, not only for being with us yesterday, but for taking time to share some of your story and be vulnerable with us here this morning. God bless you, man. God bless you and Kim and your whole family and all of the work that you guys are doing through HCW. Man, we are richly blessed by being in partnership with you. So thank thank you you for your time. Thank you. I also want to just stand up and take this opportunity. Thank you to take this opportunity to thank Ebenezer Church for what you have done over the years. I have benefited from... They go for both and for all the offerings and many things will be prayers and blessings, uh, and resources, generosity over the years. You have been blessing so many children and families in Africa. I know we have all gone through hard lives, like I have gone through traumatic life. But we put those things behind and look at what can we do for others. Because I believe that our life on earth is how do we serve or how do we live a life of purpose. Life spent focusing or the things of this world will not draw us closer to God, will not allow us to be fulfilled with all what those steps Rob just talked about. But life spent focusing our outward focus on others. How do we make other people's life better? How do we add value to their lives? Every day, 
that will draw us closer to his kingdom. I want to thank you very much for your support over the year. God bless you. Thank you. So as we prepare to, to go out and, and next week, we're, we'll take our first step in initiating this new partnership with these new villages. But I thought perhaps we should end our time together with a prayer. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I thank you for Muhammad, for Kim. I thank you for their life, for their story. I thank you, O oh God, for the work that you have done in and through them, for all the work that you've done through helping children worldwide. And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit will continue to work through these these remarkable people, and that you will continue to allow the folks of Ebenezer Church to make a difference, even though it's far away, to make a lasting and true, bold difference in the lives of others. Not so that we will be more fulfilled, though we will, but so that we could bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name and for whose sake we pray. Mm -hmm. Amen.